There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. When was the last time you spent as much of your money on food as you're spending today? That was an article in today's Wall Street Journal. And yes, I'm going to talk about uh, Donald Trump's uh, town hall last night. I'm going to talk about this uh, Japanese guy who was selling nuclear materials. Um, but I have to start out with this because it affects us all. And they say in the Wall Street Journal today, the last time that we spent as much of our money on food, George H.W. Bush was in office, Terminator 2 was in the theaters, and CNC Music Factory was rocking the Billboard charts. That's a long time ago. Eating continues to cost more even as overall inflation has eased because that's what they keep telling us. Well, don't worry. You know, inflation is down. There's no problem. The economy's doing great, except that the cost of food is way up there. Prices at restaurants, and I don't go out to eat very much, but I do go occasionally, was up 5.1% just this last month. Grocery costs are up 1.2% one month. And that's according to the government's own you know, data. That's from the Labor Department. And it doesn't look like anything's going to get better anytime soon. All the food distributors and restaurant executives are saying, oh, no, we got rising labor costs. We can't get cocoa. Um, everything's more expensive. So if you look historically after periods of inflation, there's really no period you could point to where food prices go back down. Think about that for a second. Wherever we are today, it's not going to get lower. So unless salaries go up substantially, it's going to get harder and harder to keep food on your table. And forget about the quality of the food. In 1991, we were spending 11, like maybe 11.5% of our disposable personal income on food. And that's according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, right? We had food prices were pretty high because we had inflation during the 1970s. Here we are three decades later, and food spending is back at that level. In 2022, we spent 11.3% of our disposable income on food. Now, that makes uh, President Joe Biden angry. Really? I mean, he was on Instagram during the Super Bowl blasting food makers that he said, oh, you know, they're providing less bang for consumers' buck. There's fewer chips in the bag and ice cream comes in smaller containers. And the American public, he said, we're tired of being played for suckers. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. You're to blame. David Chaverne, the CEO of the Consumer Brands Association, which basically represents a bunch of different food manufacturers, the big ones, 
said the industry offers many choices at different price points. Then uh, they hope to work with the president on real solutions that benefit consumers. Are you kidding? They can't make miracles. So they talked to some people around the country. One woman in suburban Chicago said her food bills are rising faster than her family's income, leading them to make their own granola from scratch and pack their own snacks for the movies, both of which I think are really good ideas anyway. Everything is a negotiation, an analysis about our budget, she said. And this is a professional, an occupational therapist. She said it's exhausting. People are going out less frequently or they're not getting appetizers and they're buying more store brands when they're at the supermarkets and they're looking for all kinds of promotions and deals and they're on their apps trying to get uh, coupons and it's definitely affecting the food makers and it's de definitely affecting the restaurateurs. Denny's, Wendy's and a bunch of other restaurant chains are telling investors this month that their numbers are down. They're, they're not feeding as many people as they were in 2022. Now think about that. 2022, we were just coming out of COVID. People were still scared to go out. And now it's the people with lower incomes who can't do it. Hershey, Kraft, Heinz, all reporting their sales volumes down. Food companies, are you know, they, they, they can't make miracles happen. Corn, wheat, coffee, beans, chicken may have gone down a little bit in price, but sugar, beef, french fries, up. I guess potatoes are up. I went out, when were we? Uh, it was Sunday evening. We'd been given a gift certificate. I'm not going to mention the restaurant because I didn't have a great dining experience. But we went out to dinner and... It's a restaurant that's normally on a Sunday evening jammed. You're waiting. You got to wait for a table. They don't take reservations, so you got to wait for a table. We breezed in, never filled up the whole time we were in there. And I could see more people sharing plates than I remember in a long time. Oreos, the cookie maker Mondelez said those Oreo prices are going to continue going up because cocoa prices continue to go up. I picked up a package of Oreos a month ago. It wasn't even that recently. I had to bring them with me to a meeting, and the people who were holding the meeting asked me specifically to pick up some Oreos, some yellow Oreos and some chocolate Oreos. When I looked at the price of the Oreos, I said, whoa. I've never seen, you know, a package of cookies that weren't like, you know, maybe high dollar imported from Sweden cookies that cost that much. Hershey said this month it expects more expensive cocoa to cut into their profit. Kraft Heinz said uh, even though inflation seems to be moderating, their costs are still higher because tomatoes and sugar that's what's pushing it. Well, you gotta, you need tomatoes and sugar to make ketchup, right? I don't care because to me it means that John Kerry is not doing as well. Right? He's married to the Heinz heir. Companies are set to pay more for staffing after 22 states in January lifted the minimum wage for hourly workers. So now 
if you're hiring skilled workers like mechanics to replace employees who retired during the pandemic, it's going to cost you a ton of money. The, the people at fast food restaurants are now making in the teens. Not that I don't think people deserve to be paid a living wage. Of course they do. But you're watching restaurants in California just fold up. Even long-standing, very good chains. Either the crime is pushing them out of neighborhoods or the costs of, uh, of minimum wage. In California, the minimum wage went up 25% for fast food workers. And, and in April, that goes into, into your price into what the consumer is going to pay. When you go out now, you look at the menu and you say, well, is it really worth a buck 99 for a side of macaroni and cheese? Or maybe I should get refills instead of ordering the big large size drinks, which cost so much. I was uh, at a, uh, I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant, but I watched a couple split a steak. I've seen people, friends of mine, say, uh, you want anything from Jimmy John's? I, they're a sandwich place, right? And I say, oh, yeah, like I, what kind of sandwiches? And they're like, they're, you know, they look at me like I'm crazy. But I, I just don't eat sandwiches, and I don't eat out sandwiches very often. So they'll say, well, you know, Italian, uh, ham and cheese, turkey, things like that. And then they'll say to me, well, we split a sandwich. And I'll be looking at their husband who's definitely tipping the scales above 200. And I go, split a sandwich? My husband is not that big. He's tall. But there's no splitting a sandwich at, at Jimmy John's or any place else. But if you haven't got enough money to put groceries in your refrigerator, if you do have a chance to go get something at Jimmy John's, you might be splitting a sandwich. And... All kinds of deals. I saw some deals the other day that were just amazing to me. I, I think it was at Wendy's. I stopped there. I was bringing my, uh, my neighbor wanted one of those frosty drinks, right? So I stopped by to get it. And there was like a deal, a medium size or large size for 99 cents. And I'm thinking, yeah, they can't get people to come into these restaurants. So they have these loss leaders. And I'm not talking about classy restaurants. I'm talking about Wendy's. No, not to put down Wendy's or anything. Is there anything that you would eat at Wendy's? Just curious, because there's nothing that I, I would eat at Wendy's. <laughs> Maybe I'd drink one of those uh, slurpy things, but that's probably not even that. Um, Frosted Flakes, Fruit Loops. Can't afford them anymore. People are eating cereal for dinner. Give chicken the night off, the campaign says, and eat some Fruit Loops. Are you kidding me? Although my son Derek did spend an entire six months of his life only eating cereal out of the box. No milk, just cereal out of the box. It was one of those crazy times in his little life. Anyway, so I got that off my chest. Just like a gallon of gas, we're seeing higher prices on supermarket shelves and nobody wants to talk about it. You know when they're going to talk about it? On the first Tuesday of November. You know what I mean? All right. A especially since last night, of course, you know, he stole my line. Dan Bongino said the money line from the town hall with Laura Ingram last night had to be 
when she said, do you want to get elected so you can get revenge against all these people who have tortured and come at you and your family? And he said, success will be the greatest revenge. Success for him, success for the country, success on your grocery shelves. Great line. Anyway, don't forget to download the 850 WFTL app. That way you could get all the podcasts and all of the contests you could participate. We're now having a contest where you can get tickets to Rib Roundup. That's our country music station special event every year. Great food and great music. So just download the app, 850 WFTL app, or go to the website, 850WFTL.com. And take a quick break. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Federal prosecutors in New York said they're charging a Japanese Yakuza leader with conspiring to traffic nuclear materials from Burma to other countries. They call these guys gangsters. The guy's name is Takeshi Ebisawa and his confederates. Who Now, not the smartest bulbs. They showed samples of nuclear materials in Thailand to an undercover agent from the U.S. DEA. A U.S. nuclear forensic laboratory later analyzed the samples and confirmed that the samples contain uranium and weapons-grade plutonium. Now, this is what federal prosecutors should be going after, not Donald Trump. Feds in New York on Wednesday said that they charged a Japanese Yakuza leader with conspiring to traffic nuclear materials. Now, what do they think they, those nuclear materials are going to be used for? Just asking. Uh, it's not for energy. They would be used by Iran to make a nuclear weapon. So how stupid do you have to be? Uh, I guess uh, this is a silly question. But I've seen enough movies, enough James Bond movies, enough uh, all of these movies about these uh, nefarious drug and and nuclear traffickers and terrorist organizations. We've all seen enough of those movies to know that you probably shouldn't do business with a guy that looks like, I don't know, James Caviezel, which is kind of what the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration guy looked like, posing as a narcotics and weapons buyer who had access to an Iranian general. With the assistance of Thai authorities, the nuclear samples were seized and subsequently transferred to the custody of U.S. law enforcement. The indictment says that in September of 2020, took them long enough, huh? Ebisawa emailed the undercover DEA agent a letter in the name of a mining company offering to sell 50 metric tons of uranium and thorium for $6.85 million dollars. 
U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said it is impossible to overstate the seriousness of the conduct alleged in today's indictment. How much more brazen could anybody be in trafficking nuclear material? And how would they not know that that material, especially once an Iranian general's name came up, not be used to develop a nuclear weapon. Apparently, these people don't think that if nuclear weapons start going off, that they're going to die. The top prosecutor also said that even as he tried to sell the nuclear materials, the Yakuza leader also negotiated for the purchase of deadly weapons, including surface-to-air missiles, M-60 machine guns, AK-47s, and armor-piercing ammunition. Mm, that that would have raised some alarms, I think, even if you weren't, uh, even if you weren't a DEA agent, right? Yakuza. D does anybody? I, I'm not really familiar with Yakuza, but it's sort of the the mob, the the family mob that are that exist in Japan, and so these gangsters. In the old days, they used to call these guys Gokudo. See, I do have some retention of certain things. But now, they're apparently called Yakuza, and they are transnational organized crime syndicates that originate in Japan. The Japanese police and media, by request of the police, call them Boryokudan, while the Yakuza call themselves Ninkyo Dantai. You can expect that there'll be a, uh, a Sylvester Stallone movie coming out soon. But, you know, what exactly does the Yakuza do that we were engaging in business with uh, some Yakuza person? All they do is extortion, fraud, smuggling, gambling, prostitution, loan sharking. And obviously, if that's your you know, your panoply of businesses, you're probably also engaging in murder and assault. So ha, I'm just, just wondering, how much Yakuza is there in the United States? Apparently, the presence of Yakuza in the United States has, has increased tremendously since the 1960s. Although much of their activity is concentrated in Hawaii, they are very active in the San Francisco Bay Area, and in Los Angeles. And apparently, they're selling nuclear materials. They're trafficking nuclear materials to Iran. I'm telling you. If this is not, if these are not end times, what will they look like? It's just everywhere I turn, I see the kinds of things that, would make a really tough person squirm. And then I got to, you know, hear stories about Vladimir Putin, who's now gloating. I mean, he's gloating. Ukraine isn't winning. Now, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I, they, they, you know, somebody may uh, shut down my, my social media platforms for saying this, but the Ukrainians are losing and fleeing. I know that they're a proud people, but, you know, how much, how much death? 
you know, they're watching Navalny. Uh, do you realize that they had to file a lawsuit, his family, his mother, demanding the release of his body? So even after everything they did to him and to his family, let's face it, his brother now is under, uh, they have a warrant out for his brother. His wife is going to pick up her his mantle, but she's uh, not in the country. And his mother, who's still in the country, in the Arctic city of Salakard, wants to bury her son's body. And the Russian official said, nah, you can't have his body. Not now. 14 days, we're going to have a chemical examination of his body for another 14 days. In other words, it'll take us that long to get all the poison out of his tissues. I guess. So I saw a video last night of his mother standing outside the, the prison colony where he died last week, begging Vladimir Putin to intervene and turn the body over to her. She said, for the fifth day, I've been un unable to see him. They wouldn't release his body to me, and they're not even telling me where he is. I'm reaching out to you, Vladimir Putin. The resolution of this matter depends solely on you. Let me finally see my son, and I demand that his body is released immediately so that I can bury him like a human being. Well, that's where you're uh, running into a problem. Because see, Vladimir Putin did not consider him a human being. He considered him an enemy. And that's how Vladimir treats his enemies. Hundreds of Ukrainian troops, by the way, are missing. It, it, they're running. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to, to disparage the Ukrainian troops. I'm sure that they're feeling pretty helpless right about now. They have either been captured or they're missing hundreds of them. Now, if they were captured and they're watching the news and they see what happens to enemies of Vladimir Putin, they may uh, wish they were running. The Russian capture of the eastern city of Afdivka is a symbolic loss for Ukrainian troops. And it really just does point to the fact that uh, that they're losing, and you can blame it on the Congress if you want to. But, you know, where's Europe? It's, this is a Europe problem more than anything. And it's not up to the United States Congress to finance this losing war anymore. Just saying. But, hey, look at what we have as a commander-in-chief. That he fell going up the stairs again to the jet uh, yesterday. Or today, I don't even know. I'm so tired of seeing images like that. Because the whole world's looking at that. But that's okay. Because in the words of my favorite president, success will be his greatest revenge. Let me take a break. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. Well, the good news is that uh, Governor Abbott and the Texas, uh, what are the Texas Patrol, the Texas National Guard, all of the above, are celebrating the seizure of an island that's right near the U.S.-Mexico border that has been a safe haven for the cartels. Like, yeah, you know, 
they store their drugs and their weapons there. And Governor Abbott announced on Friday that work has begun on an 80-acre military facility to provide some 1,800 soldiers to better defend the southern border from illegal migrants extending along the Rio Grande and six miles south to Shelby Park. Now, uh, Obrador, the Mexican president, was mocking him yesterday, called it politicking and not a serious response to record levels of illegal immigration. But the Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who represents the 23rd Congressional District, which probably has more of the U.S.-Mexico border than any other district, told Newsweek that Mexican cartels have helped the Biden administration bring down the numbers of illegal immigrants coming to the U.S. Does anybody believe that? Texas Land Commissioner Dawn Bunkingham said to Maria Bartiroma that she recently returned from Fronton Island, described as being on the most violent part of the border. The island, which is situated across a stretch of land in the Rio Grande in Texas, in, the, in what's called Star County, was secured by the Texas National Guard and the Department of Public Safety last November. And everything is honky-dory over there now. She said the state has maintained safety in an area that's densely wooded. It's a 170-acre refuge that used to literally provide concealment for criminal activity. They literally had a safe haven to stash weapons and drugs and people. Tons and tons of people coming across. Tons of explosive devices and weapons that are illegal in this country, as well as enough fentanyl to kill every man, woman, or child in this country a couple of times over. But since they uh, seized the island and they put the concertina wire in that area and in high-volume migrant areas like Shelby Park, she said, we're not seeing the weapon caches and people coming across in those spots. Sergeant Jake Jordan of the Joint Task Force Lone Star Special Response Team Platoon Sergeant said last fall that engineering teams install, installed, I'm getting too excited, this is the only good news I have today, installed over one and a half miles of wire to alleviate what was a decades-old problem. Well, if Governor Abbott and Texas can do this, what seems to be the problem with my federal government? Immigration is a federal issue. Illegal immigration is a federal crime. Oh, it's a misdemeanor. Really? A decades-old problem? So how come it was allowed to go on like this? They gave operational control of the border to the cartel. And now the Mexican government laughs at us because we have a strong governor that stands up and says, well, we're taking back our state. It's a terrifying time. I said that earlier, but it really is. Just yesterday, the governor of Missouri sent 200 National Guardsmen to help Abbott. Our governor has sent them. Christy Nome has sent them. All lots of governors have said, hey, I hope somebody would help us. If this was happening to us, 
and all the political propaganda. You know, and then I see an article, you know, crazy, crazy articles. Because the, the left is, they, they don't care how many people die. They really don't. So, so now they're saying, well, you know, it's not Mexicans bringing in fentanyl, it's Americans. What? Who, who, be, who believes that? Apparently the left. Now, are there bad actors who happen to be American in drug trades? Yeah, some of them may even be affiliated with high-ranking politics. I don't doubt it. But no, 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 no. It's cartels and illegal immigrants who are bringing fentanyl into this country. And the only way that's going to stop if, is if Donald Trump gets elected. You know that. I know that. And I'm sure they know that as well. But they don't care. They'd be much happier if we could just, you know, uh, continue to talk about anything but. You know, now the new thing is, oh, uh, the shock and anger and confusion because a court ruling in Alabama said that uh, that embryos, now mind you, that embryos were actually people, potential people anyway. Frozen embryos are potentially people. I, I don't understand why that would make anybody upset. If you conceived a child through in vitro fertilization, and I know many of many who have, then you know that embryos are in fact potential people. The state Supreme Court in Alabama said that it was a fight over reproductive rights and blah, 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 and this is another blow to women's rights. And uh, what about the little girl embryos? What about their rights? Wouldn't that fall under women's rights? Of course, the White House says, oh, oh, send Kamala Harris out there quick. We told you this would happen if the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Oh, we knew this would happen. Yeah, you knew it would happen because there actually are probably as many states in the Union that do not condone the murderous practice of late-term abortion as there are that do. Actually, I'd venture to say late-term abortion is not popular, period, with anybody. But even some of this nonsense that they consider not late-term, it's not popular with people. I know you, you're using this as a cudgel and hoping it's going to win the White House back, but I, that's not going to fly in a lot of uh, flyover country, as you like to call any place that doesn't have uh, you know, Wall Street. Jennifer Lincoln, oh, I got to talk about this thing in Oregon, too. That'll be in the last segment. But uh, an, an OBGYN in Portland, Oregon, says she doesn't think people understand how scary the Alabama ruling is. Ooh, it's so scary. to, to If you have five embryos left and you decide you don't want to have any more kids and you want those embryos destroyed, uh, the doctor can't do that. Ugh. What? Well, first and foremost, why did you freeze those embryos if you didn't want children? I'm, I'm confused. Unborn children are children. And frozen embryos are basically 
unborn children. We're not talking about just eggs. We're talking about embryos. These are kids that were created in Petri dishes. But it's not acceptable to not consider them human beings just because they were put on ice. It's not acceptable to destroy them. They're not commodities. But that's how far we've gone. That's how negative we have become. That's how little we appreciate life. That it's just a political debate. It's not even a medical debate anymore. It's just a political debate. Okay, uh, maybe only fertilize two eggs instead of 10, if you're concerned about that. I'm just, I'm just amazed that we're having this conversation, but I'm not amazed because these are those times. And if you thought it was crazy before the, uh, the flood, um, imagine how crazy it was when, when Lot was fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. Just saying, just, just saying. All right, don't forget coming up after me is Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Pags and Lars Larson. And then at 6 a.m. tomorrow, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show. Uh, at 9 o'clock, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. At noon, it's Dan Bongino. And then at 3 o'clock, I come back for my stint here on 850. But I still have one segment left today, so don't touch that dial. So I've always said, and people have been very unhappy with me, that... This downward slide into the sort of wholesale acceptance of drugs being okay. You know, let's make it all legal. And I've always said, we'll see, but how, how's that working for Oregon? Three years ago, they started a, I don't even know what, if you could call it a, a, a program. It's a social experiment saying that if anybody had some kind of uh, exposure to drugs or was uh, it, uh, had a drug addict, anybody who was actually a drug addict, they should not be punished for having drugs. They should be treated. Now, mind you, I believe that treatment works. Not always, but I think it certainly does work. And I think that for many, many people, who want to get better, treatment is a great option. But punishment is still a great deterrent. So when I hear stories about, well, you know, we'll just make it not a, not a crime, and anybody who gets caught with drugs will immediately put them into some sort of treatment and see how that goes. Except that you ended up with a lot of drug addicts who couldn't manage. They end up having babies. They end up having babies that have drug problems. They end up homeless. Uh, and and this, is, this is what's happening in Oregon now. Oregon has this Measure 110 uh, where they basically try to get people into a treatment program as well as provide them with support. So that, for instance, they tell a story in uh, today in The Guardian about a young man who has a daughter and 
the daughter's mom couldn't, you know, couldn't get it together. So he has his baby and he didn't want to live in a car with his kid. And in Oregon, he knew he wouldn't have to because of this Oregon Measure 110. So they decriminalized the possession of hard drugs. I'm not talking about getting caught with a little marijuana. I'm talking about getting caught with fentanyl. And in, when they decriminalized that, they began to funnel hundreds of millions of dollars into substance abuse treatment. I don't have to tell anyone who lives in South Florida how much of substance abuse treatment is actually rogue, and in many instances, it's actually criminal, what goes on in some of these so-called treatment centers. But, oh, when they voted for Measure 110 in Oregon, it was like, oh, this is a groundbreaking step, and this is a more compassionate approach to people who have substance abuse disorders, and, oh, this we don't want to punish them, we want to treat them. Three years later, after its passage, and I spoke out against this, the law is now the biggest debate happening in Oregon because they've got a spiraling opioid crisis. Residents, business owners, law enforcement agents have all said that you can't walk through downtown Portland. People are openly smoking fentanyl. Others are unconscious in doorways in small towns where mayors never even had homeless problems. Suddenly they've got encampments. Suddenly they've got uh, stories in the newspapers about middle-class families grieving teenagers who lost their lives due to buying one bad pill. So now, what are the lawmakers to do? Right, This was all their big social experiment. And of course, they're coming up for elections. So now they're considering passing a number of bills that would reinstate criminal penalties, like fines and jail time for drug possession. And it looks like that could happen any day now. Because business owners said, you've got to do something. And more than half of the voters, they're saying, they're doing study after study, focus group after focus group, more than half of the voters support a total repeal of this 110. Now we're going to see. This is going to be the national litmus test for public tolerance to what is called harm reduction that's the approach. Now, mind you, in, in all fairness, I always disclose everything. I sit on a board of a, of a facility, a nonprofit that uh, you know deals with substance abuse and mental health issues all the time. And I have read more about harm reduction uh, and then studied it thoroughly with my daughter. And while I believe that harm reduction is one approach that can be taken with the substance abuse problems that we're, we're currently facing in America, it is not working in some of these big cities. It's just not. What you have are open-air drug use. It's not working. Now, that doesn't mean that there couldn't be parts of this that could work. But this all began because people just felt bad. They felt bad watching drug addicts lose everything and lose their lives. They had family members who became addicted. But 
what is it that that society deserves and what does society owe to the people who convinced us that we should only use harm reduction and cut out all penalties i'll tell you what they ought to be they ought to be tried that's all this is not a bold vision this is a dystopian nightmare Oregon voters passed Measure 110 with nearly 60% support, and now they just want to deconstruct it. They know that all these no penalties for the possession of fentanyl, for methamphetamine, that, uh, you know, th this, and, and think about what it does to what already are societal inequalities, right? Single motherhood, uh, racism any of these things, treatment options for people who are struggling with addiction are, are costly. And when you say there's no repercussions if you're using or, or, or found in possession of these dangerous drugs, what do you think was going to happen? Oregon has had the steepest increase in the country of overdose deaths since the pandemic. 1,500% up. Nearly 1,000 people in Oregon died from opiate overdoses just last year. So come back to bite them. And it's a conversation that needs to happen in America. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my hope is to be back here tomorrow at 3, if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you and God bless the USA. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.